everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Byword Show. So glad you're here. Today is going to be a really awesome episode, you guys. We have Freddie Amos here with us. We are going to talk about mental health. Now, you guys have heard me talk about mental health, I feel like, since the very beginning. But I wanted to have a dedicated conversation where we just do a deep dive and like get all the taboo, weirdness, shame around this topic out and really talk about the issues where we can just feel open and be really real about it. So you guys know the drill. Hit pause, take a screenshot of the episode, make sure that you share and tag us to let us know you're here and then come on back so we can get started. Freddie, I know I already said this, but seriously, I'm so pumped that you're here. Would you just quickly introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, well, I know I we talked a little bit before, but I really am so excited to be here. And um, I love talking about mental health. Of course, I love having my clients, but talking about it is such a unique thing that um, counselors like myself get to do. And so um, it's fun to kind of be on this side of things, not in a session with a client, but getting to talk about the ins and outs of, of counseling and mental health. So um, yes, with that, I am a counselor. So I work for a ministry called Live Original, which was founded by Sadie Robertson Huff. Um, so I am local to Louisiana. I moved here about a year ago, which is crazy, which also means I graduated from my master's a year ago, which is also just so crazy. I feel like that wow. was just yesterday. Um, but I got my degree in clinical mental health counseling and um, been doing it since last year. That's amazing. So tell us a little bit about your own story. Like what got you into the world of mental health and working in this field? Yeah, it's so funny because uh, someone actually asked me that the other day and I was reminiscing on this conversation I had with my mom when I was in high school and I had no idea what I wanted to do. And she was like, you should be a counselor. And I was like, that just sounds like the worst job ever. Like, I don't want to <laughs> sit in a room and I have to talk to people about their problems all day. Like, I just don't want to do that. Um, obviously, looking back, that was just me, like, trying to make excuses and run from it because I uh, found I love it. Um, so in middle school, um, I really struggled with depression. And it wasn't even um, anxiety related. It was just I felt super lonely and isolated. Uh, nothing really anxious um, was in my life. I didn't really have a, a big need to be anxious um, when I think through that. But I um, went to a counselor at one point and I had a horrible experience. Um, I really felt like she was just talking at me instead of trying to help me. You know, as a teenager, I mean, teenagers are emotional, whether you have like a mental health illness or not. And, uh, you know, tagging with my um, teen life, I just was a mess. And so I, um, I really think that's what kind of started it. That's what, you know, the seed was planted at that moment for me, but I didn't realize it till much later on. And mm -hmm. I struggled with depression from middle school to my freshman year of college. So a big mm -hmm. chunk of my life, and it wasn't until um, college that I actually realized the freedom I could have from depression mm -hmm. um, through a conversation with a friend who essentially just looked at me and said, have you ever thought of it as a good thing? And I was like really offended, to be honest, because mm. I was like, how could depression be a good thing? Like, why would anyone say that? But I think having her pose me that question led me to look at it from a different perspective. Mm. And that's kind of when my healing process started was in the midst of my college life. So that's a quick flyby of, of my story. Wow. Okay. So 
I, I'm so interested to hear about your progression then, because you said you had a not so great experience with a counselor. And I've had that too. And I've talked to so many other women and young girls who are like, I don't want to go to counseling. Like, I don't want to have to rehash all these details. I don't want to, you know, like all of that. But what made you try again? Because obviously you said finally when you were in college, you started really going through the healing process. So Mm -hmm. what was it like at that point? Yeah, I think, well, to go back uh, my experience in counseling, I went one time. So I was that girl that (laughs) went once and I was like, I'm never doing this ever again. So maybe I should have stuck with it, but I also recognized I wasn't in place to go to counseling. I was not willing, like you said, to talk about things, to hash things out. And I think you, you have to be willing to a degree. You don't have to be fully ready to talk about all of those things, but you do have to understand um, in order to heal, you do have to go back to a lot of those really hard places. And if you are not comfortable with that, counseling might not be the thing you should do in that moment or in that season. It kind of started with me. Honestly, I had to heal a lot spiritually. Um, Mm -hmm. I went to a lot of different spiritual events in my um, college life. And I had a friend that kind of took me to um, more of like a spiritual counselor, I guess I would call her because she really focused on like, okay, let's pray together. Um, A step Mm -hmm. above a mentor maybe would be the best way to think about it. And I remember I went to her and I was so uncomfortable and I was like, I just, this isn't for me. Like, again, I just was like, I can't do this, but I just wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to talk about the things that I had gone through. Um, Mm -hmm. And I actually didn't go back to counseling myself until I was in grad school. Um, My husband oh so kindly told me I needed to go to counseling. (laughs) Truly, it was, it was so kind. Like it was, I don't say that like in a joking way, it was so kind because that's a hard conversation to have with someone. Right. And um, he was like, you know, I think you need more help than I'm able to give you. And I want to, I want to help you in that. Um, And so I was like, okay, you're right. I'm really sacrificing my well-being. And so I didn't even really talk through a lot of things until I was out of undergrad and in my master's program. But the healing really for me came from a lot of forgiveness and a lot of prayer and a lot of finding my identity and who I am with who God says I am rather than the world. And I know that's so cliche to say, but that really is like where my healing started. That's such a good point. I love that you said you had to start with the spiritual healing because to me, and and I mean, my own journey goes back a decade as well, like starting through middle school and just all the things at that point. And then even now as a mom and postpartum stuff and going through just life, you know, and I've just found that it seems the mental health conversation is usually presented so separately from the spiritual Mm. or like the church or your relationship with God conversation. And obviously there are conditions that cause, you know, chemical imbalances, but really at the root of it, I've just, I know, I'm sure you've said it, like, like you said, in your own experience, you've just found they are so interconnected. And so Mm -hmm. why do you think there is such a stigma then about this in the church world? I mean, I feel like it's getting better. But there still is a little bit of like maybe taboo feels around mental health in the church world. Yeah. you. I mean, you make a good point. Like we are like in the church, we're getting better about talking about it. Um, but there's still this sense of like hush, hush. We don't really want to talk about mental health. Um, 
you know, some churches are way better at it than others. But as a whole, I would say it's because it's uncomfortable to not know how to help someone Mm. sometimes. And I think the church has felt this weight of responsibility, like how do we help people? But how do we help people that's actually going to produce change? And Mm. we, I think as a church, have put a lot of pressure on ourselves to do that. And we're, I don't want to say this for everyone, but I've seen a lot of churches kind of just take on the role of a professional counselor without the training. And Mm. I didn't get a Christian biblical counseling degree. I got a mental health degree. And I believe that really set me up for success because like you're saying, there are times where it's chemical imbalance, you know, there's trauma in your life that you need to work through and there's research to help people. And I think that those things that are rooted in what we would say like science and research are also rooted in God. And I think sometimes Mm -hmm. the church doesn't know how to take those things and apply them because they feel like, well, this isn't God and God should just heal right away. And, you know, if we don't have, if we don't pray for anxiety to go away and we don't have peace and we're sinning. And I think that's where those things kind of come into play because I just think the church doesn't know how to really talk about it and accept that there might not be healing in every area and there might need to be professional help um, more so than just talking to a pastor sometimes. Yeah. I think that's a really, really good point because I, you know, since opening up about my story and I'm sure you've experienced the same thing, you just start hearing so many other people like, Oh, me too. I've never told anybody about this, but yes, I struggle with anxiety. Yes, I struggle mm-hmm. with depression. I don't know really what to do about it. I don't talk to anybody about it. And it's like, man, there's just so many other women going through it that just either mm-hmm. don't know how to ask for help, don't know where to find help, feel weird yeah. talking about it. And yeah, it's so, yeah, it's a hard thing, but it really is, gosh, there's just so much to it. But whenever you are able to, recognize, you know, it's more than just, you just got to pray about it. You just got to trust God. You know, sometimes you just need extra help and there's nothing Mm -hmm. shameful about that at all. I had a friend talking to me one time about her mental health journey and she was like, I don't know why people are so weird about it because nobody would look at a diabetic weird if they were like, well, I trust God, but I just, I have to take my insulin, you know? Yeah. It's like, why is that any different? And so, yeah, it's just so weird to me um, because so many people now struggle with mental health and it's just not talked about. Gosh, like what have you heard from women since you've started, I mean, working with women, but also I'm sure sharing your story and just being Mm -hmm. more in this world full on, just hearing people's stories. I think there's a lot of shame and embarrassment feeling anxious and depressed and you know just being told pray about it you don't have enough faith you're not praying about it hard enough um or even like if it's not really from the church kind of saying those things it's themselves thinking Mm -hmm. like I should be over this by now time should have healed this um I'm in a better relationship so why am I still thinking about all the pain from my last relationship and lashing out on my current spouse, you know, like all of these things of basically why isn't it better? Like why Mm. hasn't it just gotten better? And for the, you know, the church side of it, when people are saying like, it's sinful, those emotions are sinful. I try to teach my clients and just teach people I come in contact with, like, 
it's not sinful to feel a certain emotion. Like I always use this example, but God didn't have to make us emotional human beings. Like there was mm. no rule book before he created humans that said you have to give them emotions. That was something given to us by God. And when I take that knowledge and then I combine it with my mental health knowledge, it's like our feelings are trying to communicate something to us. So why would God give mm. us feelings? He's trying to communicate something to us. Wow. And that's what he uses. And so if you're feeling depressed, if you're feeling anxious, that's actually him wanting you to come to him with those things, not feel shameful for those emotions. And then on the flip side, when people are like, well, why isn't it better? You know, we have that saying of time heals all wounds. And I really hate that saying because time doesn't heal wounds. Like you have to put an effort to heal wounds. Yeah. Um, you can take time to heal wounds, I think is a better way to put it. And so mm. it, it does require work and it does require hard work. And I also think we kind of forget that piece of it. We just want it to be a quick snap of the fingers healing. Oh, yeah. Kind of like you would expect, you know, a antibiotic to heal a virus inside of you. Yeah, totally. That's such a good point. That's so true. And I love how you even mentioned how all of the science stuff that the church sometimes feels like, oh, we don't know how to like connect the dots mm -hmm. there. It really is so connected. And so I'm curious with your experience now having the mental health degree and working with women and just being a believer, how have you started to see it all connect? Yeah. I, someone asked me one time if counseling in grad school made my faith weaker or stronger. And immediately I was like, oh, for sure stronger. Because mm. I think I recognize like, I can't be a healer. Right. And that's something that in the secular world that is kind of taught a little bit, there's pieces mm. of it where it's like, you can't do the work on their behalf. They have to be the one to do the work. But there yeah. is this um, like savior complex um, that some mm. people can get of I'm going to help save my clients. And so in a secular sense, it's humbling, but in like, a, like as a believer, it just reminds me that they need Jesus. They need a, they don't need me. They need the Lord to heal them. And so I think understanding how God is so intricate in his design for our brains, our bodies, like it's, it just blows my mind. Like our bodies store trauma. Our nervous mm -hmm. systems can remember things that we don't even remember that happened to us when we were six months old. And I think that is so cool that God would be so detailed. Like he cares so much about who we are as human beings that he would write our bodies to do that. And so I think it's created more awe in me of like, God, this is so cool mm -hmm. that you work this way and seeing small things of how scripture lines up with what I learned in grad school. I'm like, there's no coincidence here. Like this is just God's handprint all over this. That's amazing. I love that. And I've felt the same way. Just the more that I learn about trauma or experience things in my own healing process, I'm like, wow, like all of this just really points back to God. Even what you mm -hmm. said about how feelings being communicators. I've had so many conversations recently and that's come up where it's like, it's not bad to feel emotions yeah. are a gift and we shouldn't be led by them, but they've we should listen to them. Like, mm -hmm. what are they telling us about how, mm -hmm. how we're doing? And I feel like, especially in relationships, gosh, what you said about how your husband approached that, like 
Hey, I, I want to help you. Like what's the next step we can take? I think that's really beautiful because mm-hmm. I feel like that's another piece in the church world too, where it's almost yeah. like, do we, do we tell people like, it's not saying God can't help you. You need to go to counseling. It's like, here's a way that you can find more healing, you know? And mm-hmm. so what advice do you have for people who are maybe in relationship with somebody who's struggling with mental health? Like, how do you approach Mm -hmm. those kinds of conversations? I think it really starts from being on the journey with them. Like if Mm -hmm. someone I had three conversations with came to me and said, you need to go to counseling, I would have not received that well. (laughs) But because my husband was with me in really dark times and the good times and everywhere in between, it was like he, I trusted what he was saying. It wasn't malicious. It wasn't to, you know, shame me in any way. It was genuine. And I think that starts with being present in all of the moments, not just like an instant, like, oh, have you ever thought about counseling? You should go to counseling because that can come across as there's something wrong with you. Right. Um, But I think there's also a way to do it in terms of saying, I want to help you, but I, I don't, I, I can't not because I don't want to, but I don't know what else to do. And I think a professional Mm. might be able to help more at the same time. I believe everyone can benefit from counseling. Of course I'm a counselor. Yeah. Uh, I see all different types of walks of life and you don't have to be in a bad place to, to go to counseling. It can also be a really great preventative measure. A, a lot of people like to go to counseling to be able to be prepared for things when they can go wrong, like having all the tools mm. before you need them kind of thing. And so um, I think there's kindness in the way you can say it. There's kindness in being a part of the journey before, during, and after um, and showing that you care. I think people can tell when your heart is genuine or when you're you know, doing it from a place of judgment. And I'm a big person on over communication. So a lot of the times I tell my clients, like, if you're thinking, I hope they don't feel like I'm judging them. Just say that, you know, there's no harm in saying, I don't want you to think I'm judging you by suggesting this. I love you. And and I want you to take care of yourself. Do you think counseling would be a good option for you? That is so gentle. That is so kind. I believe anyone will receive that well. Now, obviously that doesn't mean everyone will. But you also have to remember that if you're presenting that to someone, they might get defensive because that is kind Mm -hmm. of like an honest gut check of, am I really in a place where I need help? Like that could be scary for that person too. So also understanding that their response doesn't really reflect you. It could also reflect their state. Mm, That's such a good point. I think that's huge. And what you said about people going to counseling proactively or like that anybody can benefit. Oh my gosh. Y'all listening have heard me say it a million times. Like I love counseling. Don't know what I would do without it. And it just, it helps me so much just to be able to process my stuff. But there Mm -hmm. was a time like in the beginning of my journey where I felt like I don't want to talk about this with anybody or even like before that asking for help. Like I was in high school, junior high, when I was struggling with a lot of these things, my eating disorders and the trauma and all Mm -hmm. that. And I didn't tell anybody. I was so terrified of the burden I would put on my parents because I knew that counseling wasn't free. And then also just like, I don't want people to think that I'm broken or weird if I have to have help. And it's just, it can be scary. So I think that's a really good point just to be aware of how people might respond. And it's not like 
I mean, it's just a vulnerable, it's just sensitive. It's a raw thing Mm -hmm. to talk through, but Mm -hmm. I love, I love the relationship piece of it because I feel like that's really how healing can start and then be sustained is when you have people walking with you in the process, right? Mm Mm-hmm. On the flip side, kind of going back to people who maybe have not been to counseling or are skeptical, talk to us about that side because like I said, I was really nervous to start my counseling mm-hmm. journey. I was like, I don't know. Am I going to be laying down on a couch here while she yes. talks to me like how I feel? <laughs> counseling is really intimidating, I'll be honest. <laughs> I like Even as a counselor, I felt so intimidated going in for my first session because you're being so, like you said, you're being so vulnerable and real with someone and you literally just met them. Like you just found out their name not too long ago and you're spilling your entire life story to them. Right. So it can be really intimidating. I always try to tell my clients like, it's okay if you don't feel comfortable because this isn't really comfortable right now. I I think you have to understand like with any relationship, it's going to take time. You know, your counselor is trying to build a relationship with you to make you feel comfortable to share those things that are hard, share the things that are good, talk through like things that maybe you've never shared with anyone Um, to your point of like laying on the couch and stuff. Like, (laughs) I just think that is so funny because that used to be how people did counseling. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm so glad that's not the case anymore. But I think we really have evolved in terms of like seeing counseling as a relationship rather than like coming to a doctor Mm -hmm. to like just seek the same concept of like medical advice. It's more like, I just, sometimes I just need someone to talk to Sometimes I just need someone to bounce my ideas off of and just Mm -hmm. get these things off of my chest to a third party. You know, like I think everyone, there's also this stereotype of like, you have to be in a really bad spot to go to counseling and you don't. I have a wide range of people coming in for trauma to depression, to, um, navigating motherhood to just needing support in everyday life. So Mm -hmm. there's no one cookie cutter need to come to counseling. And I think that can intimidate people because I get that question a lot of like, when do I know I need to go to counseling? And it's like, do you feel like you need to go? Go. There's probably going to be something that comes up for you. Right. Um, (laughs) not, Not because you're like a horrible person, but because our world is so broken. There has been some kind of hurt or wound that you've experienced in your life. And it's not going to do any harm by talking through it with someone trying to navigate it. So I think taking that first step is really hard and, and building that relationship can be hard, but it's way more laid back than I think people realize because it's all about you. It's all about what you want, your desired outcome, your desired goals. And your counselor should never push an agenda on you. So they shouldn't tell you, you know, you have to go through these five steps to get your healing, or you have to talk through these things. They might have suggestions to say, you want to be healed. You should, we should talk about these things. These are the things we should talk about. But at the end of the day, like I can't convince my clients to talk about the hard things. They have to be the ones willing to do it. And so there's that piece too of, of, learning to be vulnerable, learning to be willing to change your perspective and shift and listen to your client. There's this saying that we were taught in grad school of like, your client is the expert on their life, but you're the expert on how to help them navigate the healing. Mm. And so you don't, you don't need, I don't need to tell them what happened in their life and their experience. I just need to help them reach the goal that they're coming in with. Hmm. That's really good. Yeah. And and that's such a good way to put it because it's not like you're going to somebody who's going to 
diagnose you and make a list of your problems and then yep. give you homework and just like, all right, get better. Like, you know, it's really yeah. more of a partnership where you feel supported. And I mean, you know, sometimes it's trial and error. You may need to take some time to find the right yes. person for you. Like I've seen multiple counselors, but when I found somebody that I felt like, oh, this is my person, like mm -hmm. they get it. I feel like I can just be open and honest with them. Mm -hmm. You know, once you go through the process of getting to know them, starting to feel more mm -hmm. comfortable, it really is amazing. Like I, I tell people all the time, like I love going to counseling, even when I'm feeling okay, because it keeps me in the habit of processing because yeah. I'm the kind of person that will just stuff it down until it explodes. <laughs> and so it's just been so great for me. And I would love to know for, from your experience, now that you're kind of on the other side of your healing journey, and obviously we're always in the process, but yes. because you are somebody now doing the helping What's it like for you continuing to care for your own mental health? Because I, I, the reason I'm asking this is because I have conversations with a lot of women in leadership or who mm -hmm. are, you know, even moms and they feel like I can't struggle because I'm leading this person or I have to be the one that has it together mm -hmm. because so-and-so is struggling and like, ah, mm -hmm. what do you do at that point? Yeah. I once heard a quote from my church um, when I volunteered there and it was like our mantra to help us understand is literally called the leadership development program. So like learning how to be good leaders <laughs> and the guy in charge of us, um, he said the best leaders are learners. And mm. so I have to constantly be learning about my healing, about myself. Um, it's really easy to be like, okay, like I'm a counselor. I know how to do all these things. And I did get to a point where I was like, I know how to ask the questions. I know, you know, how to pinpoint things, how to process things. Cause I do that with my clients all the time. So I just do it in my head to myself. And while I was able to do that and I am able to do that, it's still good to have that human connection piece. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's like, even though I know how to do those things, I still need to bounce those things off of someone else. I go to counseling still. I mean, like I told you earlier, I went to counseling during grad school and got a new counselor when I moved to Louisiana because I really value that. Not it used I used to say so much for my professional life. Like I don't want to, you know, hinder my clients because mm -hmm. of what's going on inside of me. And that's still true. But I realized it's more about my personal life because if mm -hmm. my personal life feels like it's falling apart, then I don't feel like I'm a good counselor. And so, yes, it is for my clients, but I also have to realize like outside of the counseling room, outside of, you know, my nine to five job, I have a life and I have to take care of myself too. And, you know, everyone has the stuff that they're going through. No one's life is perfect. And right. that's also humbling as a counselor, because sometimes I will sit with a client and they're like, what do I do about this? And in my head, I'm like, that's a really good question. What should you do about that? Because I'm like, I'm going through the same thing and I don't know what to do. And so it's just being real. Like I don't have all the answers and that can sometimes feel embarrassing for me, but then it's like, okay, well, I need to work on myself in that capacity too. So it's shifted and pushed me to want to work on myself. I'm not perfect in it at mm. all by any means. Um, and I think in a leadership role, there's just a lot of pressure to have it all together. Um, yeah my supervisor told me this one day and it just really stuck with me that she had listened to a counselor talk about this concept of like counselors being put on pedestals because a lot mm. of our clients do that. They look at us like our life is perfect. We have it all together. 
And she said in this podcast she was listening to, the counselor said, the moment I recognize a client's putting me on the pedestal, I take myself off. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was so good because I'm also human. Like, I don't want my clients to idolize me. And I don't want to idolize myself either. It's the same thing for a leadership role. Like, because you're a leader doesn't mean that you should be idolized by someone else. That's one of the Ten Commandments, you know? And so you're doing a favor to the people that are underneath you in your leadership position to remind them that you are also human and you need help too. You're actually showing them that they can take those steps. That's such a good way to put it. I think that's huge because you're right. There is a lot of pressure when you're in, I mean, any kind of leadership capacity, Mm -hmm. a mom, like leading a small group, like leading a business, you know, and that pressure to be perfect And to be perfectly healed and like to be on the other side of your journey. I mean, I remember years ago when I started to share my story, if I would ever have a hard day or if I would struggle again, I'd be like, oh my gosh, I can no longer share because now Mm -hmm. I'm struggling again. And so it's just like those things just hold us back so much from accessing our purpose and our potential and like really living in the freedom and the healing that God wants for us. Mm -hmm. And so it's just... So, so that's so true. Like giving yourself permission to be human, to be in the process. And then what yeah. a beautiful thing to be able to be authentic and be real with mm-hmm. the people that you're leading. Because one thing that I really have learned in recent years is like, I don't want anybody looking up to me to think that, oh, I want to do what she's doing, but she's got it all together. Like I yeah. have to be perfect. Yeah. I have to do X, Y, Z. It's just nobody does. Like you said, nobody Mm -hmm. has it all figured out. We're all in the process. Um, And so there's absolutely no shame in continuing to be in the healing process, in the journey. So I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, what, What are some things that you do in your own life or that you recommend to other women as far as the proactive side of really caring for your mental health in the day to day? What does that look like for you? Yeah, I have always loved working out. I've always said like that's my my place and and my environment to kind of decompress. Um, but recently I've I've come to learn like there's so much science behind why working out has become mm-hmm. that place for me. And so now I'm like, okay, more so than I want to get in the gym to like go to the gym and work out, it's like I know it's really good for my brain and it's really good for my mind and it's kind of like this buffer zone for me, leaving work and going home. So I can turn my work brain off and turn my home, you know, like my wife brain on and like just be a friend or be, you know, with the people that I do my outside of work life with. I I've really loved recommending that to my clients recently, like 30 minutes, just sunshine, go on a walk, like sit Mm -hmm. outside. You don't have to go to the gym, but just do something that kind of moves your body because there's so much research that supports that really does help your mood. It helps your depression. It increases your happiness, like all of these things. And it's, again, it's like, of course, God would give us the ability to medicate ourselves and to like give us the ability to help ourselves be happier. Like you don't have to depend on medication the whole time. He wired that in our body. So again, like just, it's so cool to me how God made us that way. I love journaling. I'm also a big journaler. Mm. I journal my prayers all the time, but it's more like in a letter format to God. And so I try to tell my clients, like, even if you're not a journaler and you don't know what to say, it's just writing it down does make a difference in your brain. Mm. Like, I think that 
connection with your hand and your mind and your eye, like something about it. I know there's science behind it that I just don't know. It really does like impact you so much. And so I really try to tell my clients, like, if you need to process things, journal it. Like I told a client recently, go on Pinterest, get some journal prompt ideas. Like just Mm. do something that kind of helps you where you are. You can do really deep. You can do really light anywhere from who was the first person that ever hurt me to, did I enjoy my day to day? Did I accomplish the things on my to-do list? You're processing everyday life. You're processing your entire life and you do those things. So, I mean, there's so many, but those are the two big ones. Obviously breathing. I know people are like, Mm. breathing is so dumb. Like why deep breathing? (laughs) I used to be in that boat of like deep breathing is so dumb. And then I went through grad school and uh, I had to learn deep breathing <laughs> because it can be so overwhelming sometimes. And um, I remember like this one time so vividly, I had a really hard client. Um, just their story was really hard to hear and listen to. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, what would I tell, what would I tell my clients to do right now? So I was like, I need to go outside and I need to take some deep breaths. And I literally just walked outside, got some sunshine on my face and did this it's called box breathing technique. And I just Mm -hmm. did box breathing like three or four times. And I was like, okay, I'm good. I'm ready to go to my next session. And it's like breathing is our reset button. It resets Mm -hmm. our brain. It resets our mind. It resets our nervous system because we do it so mindlessly and so subconsciously, but it's like drawing attention to it kind of lets your, lets your whole body relax a little bit. So I guess a few things that I do and don't do should do more, but I mean, there are so many things to do. Right. Well, I love how simple that is because I feel like yeah, sometimes women, moms, people in school, like it's life is busy, right? There's always something yeah. going on and it can feel like, oh my gosh, I can't add another thing to my schedule. I mm-hmm. have all of these exams and you're telling me I need to sit down and like journal my feelings. <laughs> and it's like, it really can be as simple as just yeah. stepping outside and breathing for a bit yes. Yes. and going for a walk and doing it. It yes. really is. And it's, it's so worth it. And so if you are in a season where you're just like feeling overwhelmed and your emotions are talking to you and they're telling you like, really it's catching mm-hmm. up to you. Mm-hmm. Trust me, it's worth it. Even if it's like five minutes a day. I love that you said that because, you know, like so many people talk about burnout. So many people yes. are like, I'm so burnt out. I'm so overwhelmed. How do I fit this into my schedule? Like I can't delete anything from my schedule. What do I do? And right. I, I think sometimes I hear that and I'm like, okay, what is your schedule? Like, I would want to know what is your schedule? What do you do the first thing you wake up? What do you do in your free time? Because everyone has a little bit of free time, right? Like when you're making breakfast, are you in peace and quiet? Are you listening mm. to music? Do you have the TV on? When you sit and eat your breakfast, are you scrolling on Instagram? Like, are you in your car eating breakfast? What do you do when you're in the car? Like, how long is your commute? Because I think we can make so many excuses and we have this like romanticized idea of, okay, well, self-care must mean, you know, getting my nails done, having three (laughs) hours a day to sit and watch Netflix. And that is just not realistic for a lot of people. But I think our world tells us that's what self-care is. And so then those people get caught in this love, like, well, I can never care for myself. But I firmly believe like, I have a busy schedule. I mean, I work and I'm a wife and I want to do things for myself too. And I'm not a mom yet, but I can't imagine adding a kid into the mix like (laughs) you are, like you said, with your three-year-old. So, but it's like, so, okay, so how do I get free time? Like, how do I get alone time? And I would just say like, 
take your five minutes in the car and take your 20 minute drive and use 20 minutes. You're not looking at your phone. You're not able to scroll or you should be right. Like <laughs> listen to some calming music, pray out loud, focus on your breaths, speak out loud the things that are going on in your brain that are frustrating you, that are making you mad. Like there's so many outlets to do that. I really think I mean, I'm not going to say everyone needs to stop scrolling because I'm so guilty of it too. But like, I notice in times where I'm overwhelmed, I'm just sitting on my phone for hours or, mm. or 30 minutes at a time. And it's like, there's a time and a place for it. Yes. But I think removing some of the mindless scrolling and replacing it with going outside, sitting outside for five minutes with your eyes closed in the sun. I mean, it's not to be summer. Everyone can do that. You know, it's not like the weather is going to be horrible. So I think it's just creating those small rhythms and they don't have to be huge. Yep. I totally agree. I think that's such a good point. And I'm so glad you brought up the scrolling too, because I find that for a lot of people, it could be as simple as just limiting that time or doing something else before bed besides scrolling. You know, these are things in my own life where I'm like, okay, I recognize myself. (laughs) I catch myself spiraling so quick when I'm spending extra time on social media, when I am, you know, just over filling my schedule. Like I just have to sometimes take a step back and take inventory Mm -hmm. and love that question. Like, what is your schedule? If you feel too busy to care for yourself, what are the things that are getting in the way of that? Because yeah. It needs to be a priority, especially if you're a leader, if you're a mom, if you have a family, if you have other people that you are consistently pouring out to, like mm-hmm. we want to have something to give them, right? So we have to make sure it's that whole thing, putting your own oxygen mask on before so- helping someone else. Yep. yep. <laughs> yeah. So just growing an awareness of like, okay, what are the things that I can do proactively, even if it's mm-hmm. tiny, tiny things throughout the day. Yeah. And then what are some things that are draining you? Like, what are things that mm-hmm. are taking away? Cause it could yes. be as simple as just like, like, what are those things, you know? Yeah. And sometimes that can be good things. Like I had mm. to reorient my schedule when I was in grad school. Cause I prioritized working out way too much. Right. And working out is a good thing, but I was sacrificing my sleep, my time Mm. with people. I was sacrificing my brain capacity to like allow myself to go home and relax after a hard day because I was like, well, I have to work out. It's good for me. It's good for my brain. It's good for my mind. It's good for my body. I need to move. I've been sitting in a chair all day. So you do have to recognize like it could even be a good thing that's causing Mm. you to drain. And it's just taking inventory, like you've said. And it's just, being mindful of like what's actually helping me in this season and what's actually hurting me and being honest with yourself. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And gosh, I feel like as women, especially we, we're so busy sometimes taking care of other people or we just, you know, we, we want to be available. Like we want to show up for people. We want to do all the things. And then we end up neglecting our own needs and just missing our cues from our emotions or our bodies mm-hmm. or even our spirit saying, I'm empty. Like I need something yeah. here. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, it's so important not to miss that. So just even like the, I love the verbiage you said, just creating rhythms, new rhythms. Mm-hmm. It's not like you have to change your whole entire lifestyle, but just adding things in where you can, taking things out where you can, it mm-hmm. can be so sustainable. And the amazing thing is that you really do start to feel the benefits of that so quickly, whether it's going to counseling, whether it's getting outside or just taking a minute to turn off the sounds in the car or yeah. while, while you're cooking, like you said, it's just, you really do feel the difference so quickly. So y'all, if you aren't doing it, 
Give it a try. (laughs) So before we go, Freddie, I would love to know, is there anything specific that you would want to say to a woman who is maybe struggling with her mental health right now? Hmm. Yeah, I, I always, my go-to is like, go to counseling, just talk to someone about it. But if counseling isn't accessible to you, if you're uncomfortable or embarrassed, like talk to a close friend and know that it's not embarrassing and you're not alone. Um, I feel like that phrase is so overused, but it, Mm. it truly should be comforting to someone to know that you're not the only one that's gone through it. And also it's nothing to be ashamed of in front of God. Um, I think way too many women are ashamed to admit that to God. And like you're saying to be something to someone else, it can feel shameful. Um, but it's actually, you're setting an example for someone else to see it's okay to not be okay. It's Mm -hmm. okay to need help. And it's okay that you might need a little more assistance. You might need someone to step in and help you in a new capacity. We're constantly growing and learning. And I think being okay with needing help is something we all have to recognize that's going to happen at some point in our life. So yeah, just not being ashamed in the presence of the Lord um, with any sort of mental health, I think is the biggest thing I would want someone to know. Mm, That's so, so, so good. All of this has been so good. I'm like, man, I just, these conversations just light me up because I'm like, man, I just, I know that these are the conversations that so many women want to have. And I'm excited that there are more and more of them happening. So Freddie, thank you so much for being here. It's been so amazing. Will you please tell everybody where they can find you and get connected? Yes. So my Instagram, uh, all mental health things is uh, your friend Freddie and I have a fun Q&A I do every Monday I answer so many fun mental health questions Um, but if you are local to Louisiana and looking for a counselor I am still taking clients unfortunately you do have to be local to Louisiana there's so many laws behind that um, that I won't even get into but yeah those are the the main things where you can find me on also the Ello sister app Um, I have some workshops on the app that I kind of write just we, I did a whole study on emotion. So something we've talked about a lot. So yeah, those are some places that you can get connected and just have more resources. That's awesome. Well, you guys, I'll make sure everything is linked for you so you can go and learn more from Freddie. I follow those Q and A's on Mondays. I'm like, yes, it's so cool. Just like <laughs> they're so fun. hearing the way you process things and yeah, the questions people have. So guys go follow Freddie, stay connected, learn more. And then just Freddie, seriously, a million times. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful for you and for what you're doing to help so many women process this and get well so they can show up and just live free and live healed. That's so amazing. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Hannah. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to tune into another episode of the Byword Show. I love having you here and I'm so thankful for your support. Don't forget to share a screenshot of this episode to let me know you were here. I can't wait to talk again soon, but in the meantime, be sure to come hang out with me on Instagram and remember, I am cheering you on.